welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across Australia, New Zealand, and throughout the Asia Pacific region. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello, and welcome back to IB Talk. I'm Danny Wood, news editor of Insurance Business Australia. Today's guest is Jonathan Frost. Director of Bell Rock Broking in Sydney. The brokerage has clients across financial and professional services, retail, manufacturing, and construction. And Jonathan is Bell Rock's construction and development insurance expert. He's marking 20 years in the industry and he's written an article about the events during that time that shaped Australia's construction landscape. Jonathan, welcome to IB Talk. Morning, Danny. It's good to be here. Great. Nice to have you on. So, just let us know exactly what are your responsibilities at Bell Rock? Yeah, being a being a fairly boutique broking firm, uh, I suppose we don't fit into the usual buckets of having defined responsibilities. But I'd say broadly, um, my responsibilities rest with you know um, general broking duties, negotiations with insurers, um, placement of of um, construction policies for clients, um, placement of complex property risk for clients. Uh, and then the usual mentoring of, of junior staff and uh, and helping them to better assist our clients with their with their insurance and risk management needs. To, to start things off, I, I just want to ask you about something that's in, in the news a lot lately. We had the huge floods in February and March across New South Wales and parts of Queensland. And there are a couple of flood inquiries. One, is, one was the parliamentary one that just came out with a report and that obviously has implications for construction and development. And I'm just wondering, as someone closely involved in construction and development, what, what's your take on the issue of constructing in flood-prone areas and the risks and insurance implications there? Yeah, look, I think no doubt in, in Sydney in particular over the past 20 or 30 years, we've seen construction in areas that would previously have been deemed flood-prone. Um, I think that that as development expands throughout Sydney and, and elsewhere, um, insurers are becoming much more aware of, of you know, flood zones and, and flood exposures um, and are looking to, to apply either deductibles or, or limitations. We haven't seen flood deductibles in the construction market for, for some time. Um, I think that there could be a point in time when we do start seeing things like flood being excluded from construction policies where there's... Um, where it's deemed to be a, a significant exposure, either because it's in a in a flood zone or because it's um it's it's in a, a previously declared flood zone that insurers are still uncertain about. As someone who's closely engaged with the construction industry, is the industry resigned to the fact that there are probably going to be reasonably significant changes to to where they can build things that are, are near possible floods, or or do you feel like um, there might be some kicking and screaming if planning development laws change a lot. Look, I think there's no doubt that um, that developers particularly want to have have as denser developments as they can to to improve their profit margins. I don't think that flood will become completely unavailable. I think that uh, that there will be resistance from that from the market, um, and I can't imagine that that we'd hit a situation where where it will be completely unavailable to to insure against flood, um, even in those areas, if the if the development apply or the the regulators on the local councils deem an area suitable for construction, 
I think that the to a certain extent insurers need to accept that that those areas need to be able to be insured. Mm. And and what about from I guess the con- construction side of things? We've been used to seeing buildings going up in all sorts of places, I suppose, some of which were flood prone already. Obviously, I mean, is the industry on on board with the need to, I guess, not not push developments in areas that are not perhaps suitable? Look, I think I think the insurers are very careful in terms of not wanting to become the regulators, and it, it's too often the case that insurers do become the regulators by default because um, you know the regulators aren't providing solutions or aren't giving enough guidance but I don't think that it should ever be the position of a of an insurer to having to to deny cover to something that's been approved by a regulator for construction. Let's move on to your article and and in your article you wrote no other sector better demonstrates the often used mantra that without insurance the world stops. Is there a good construction industry example that can demonstrate your belief there? Yeah, look, I think whenever you you see, and particularly with the insolvencies that are that are occurring at the moment, that um, as soon as there is a an event that's unexpected, the um, the the economy grinds to a halt. We've seen some fairly significant construction projects in the Sydney market recently. One being a hotel in the CBD, where where an insolvency has effectively caused the entire you know. Um, world to stop for that that development and to get it re-going again. The only way that 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 it can restart to to actually you know move forward is for the insurance market to support that. And without insurance, you know those developments can't move forward. Finances won't allow it. Regulators won't allow it. Um, local authorities won't allow it. And and nobody would want to go onto a site where there is an insurance in place. Let's let's talk about you for a minute before we sort of delve into some of those issues. I mean, how how did you get your first job in the industry back in two thousand and one? I think. Yeah, look, in two thousand and one, I I finished university and and kind of wondered where to from there. Uh, at that time, I thought, being fresh out of uni, that that commerce and banking and finance were an interesting sector. Um, I was also thinking about travelling, and so I took a job uh, working for Aon in their construction team, kind of to get a touch and feel for for the insurance industry, which I knew very little about, um, as a lot of people who joined the industry. And, and so really, it was it was that start in 2001 that, um, that kind of got me into the sector. And when you started, soon after that was, I suppose, the biggest insurance industry collapse in Australia's history. Can, can you tell us, tell us about that, refresh our memories? Yeah, look, shortly after I started, um, HIH collapsed. I was luckily lucky enough to be working in a in a um, a sector that was dominated by HIH, being home home warranty insurance. Um, there was really only a number, a small number of providers, and the vast majority of policies were issued by HIH. Um, that meant that overnight, the insurers were inundated with work. Now that occurred across the sector, but particularly in home warranty, given that it's a, a policy that you can't start construction works without. Um, it meant that around about eighty percent of New South Wales builders needed to find an alternate home for their for their warranty needs. Um, and because at that time Aon had an exclusive arrangement with Royal and Sun Alliance, or now Vero, um, we had a huge number of of applications that that kind of hit our team within within a kind of two week period. 
Um, our team went from a number of about four to a number of about 40 very, very quickly. Uh, and even then couldn't couldn't deal with the workload. Um, the the amount of effort that was put in by the by by staff at that time just to try and keep the the gears of the construction industry moving was was phenomenal. And I think that you know there were periods of time where people, where our office was was kind of operating on eighteen hour shifts just to try and keep keep the workflow getting out the door to try and assist those clients. And it really I suppose demonstrated that. That when there's an event like that, that the industry does try to come together and and you know respond to the needs of clients. As a, as a young young bloke in his his first serious in, insurance job, you obviously like the industry because that would have probably put off a lot of people to have that sort of pressure and workload almost as soon as you start. Yeah, look, I think there was no doubt at that time that there was a lot of people who came into the business who who didn't last very long because of the pressures that were put upon them. Um, you know, it, it was it was high-paced, it was difficult at times. There was a lot of emotion from we worked out of the, the Housing Industry Association office, so we could have, we would have um, builders coming in screaming and yelling at, at people for, for not doing their jobs and, and everybody was doing the best they could, but it was a, a highly emotional time and, and there were people who just, you know, after after dealing with that for a few weeks or a couple of months, would just burn out and and unfortunately leave the industry. Look, looking back now with more than twenty years hindsight, what do you see as the the lessons that were were learned from that collapse? Look, I think there were there was no doubt there was some some lessons learned about what was going on. I don't know whether they'll never be repeated because people do have short memories. Um, I suppose because I wasn't around. In the days of HIH, I can't comment particularly on what led to their downfall, but I would hope that um, that the industry as a whole saw that perhaps there was some irresponsible business um, going on, and that um, that people will learn from from that, and and you know that that further rules were brought into place, for insurance treaties were bolstered, and that to avoid the situation where you know a major carrier can completely collapse. Another big event that perhaps doesn't have such um, directly obvious insurance implications for Australia was obviously that same year, September 11, the attacks on the United States, but that did impact the insurance industry here in Australia. Can you just explain some of those impacts? Look, I think the major impact was really just the uncertainty of what that meant. No one had probably contemplated that type of loss. Um, you know, for the for those of us that worked in in uh, American firms, there was obviously direct loss of life, so there was um, business uncertainty from from head office around, you know, just the the human toll. I mean, we are in a human industry, and um, but but locally here, I think it was the uncertainty of of what if something like that can occur. You know, insurers probably never contemplated those types of total losses um, impacting on their on their portfolios, and all of a sudden, I think that. The, the underwriting approach became much more conservative for a period of time as, as people tried to stand back and understand exactly what that, what that um, World Trade Centre loss was actually going to look like. Um, and, and definitely for a period of, you know, six months, there was, there was a great deal of uncertainty around what was, what was the likely outcome of that, of that uh, tragedy. 
let's move along your career a bit into the sort of middle middle of it, I guess. In 2008-9, the other big impact on construction came from the global financial crisis. Can you sort of briefly take us through what happened there? Yeah, look, I think that, that from a construction perspective, um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty around finance and, and whether developments would be completed on um, in terms of being able to, to obtain funding. Um, from a from an insurance market perspective, we we had some fairly large insurance carriers who who people were concerned may not make it through that period. Um, you know, I think that that we all know that AIG were bailed out by the the US government and probably wouldn't have made it through if if they hadn't been. They renamed themselves to Charters and then back to AIG more recently. And and I think that um, you know going back to without insurance, the world stops. I think that had one of those large American carriers fallen over, the damage that would have been left in their wake from a you know, directors and officers liability perspective and, and many other classes would have would have made it un you know would have made an unbelievable impact. And I think that, you know, the the US government recognised that and stepped in for, for those reasons. But but coming back to to construction, I think it just created again a lot more uncertainty in a marketplace that, you know, from an insurance perspective was very healthy. I think the rates were were competitive. Um, there was plenty of capacity in the local market. Construction was probably seen as a as a profitable sector of the insurance industry. So it was really just where you um you know where you had those kind of external macroeconomic factors coming into play that um that we saw that that fear again and you know fear is something that that really doesn't take take much for that to affect underwriting outcomes and, and insurance outcomes in, in a local marketplace. At about this time, a, a quite specific issue started to come to the fore and it, it's still having impacts now, the, the combustible cladding fires. Um, how did that affect your work as a broker and what challenges did you and I guess do you still face dealing with these sort of risks and how you sort of navigate that with clients and insurers? Yeah, look, I think initially when it was combustible cladding issue that was that was probably something was manageable I think the clients you know understood that the construction clients understood that they that there was an exposure there um, you know notifications were made I think insurers reacted quite quite harshly in in terms of turning the tap off for for cover around all non-conforming building products um, in the overall scheme of the Australian marketplace, we haven't had a significant number of losses around cladding cladding fires, um, but we did see, you know, insurers and and when you withdraw cover in an environment where there's claims coming in, that's viewed quite poorly by by people who are going to rely on that cover. I would say that sitting here today, there'd be no contractor in Australia who'd be contemplating using a, a combustible cladding product. Um, on, on the facade of a residential building, um, that probably is, well, that, that's a good thing. Um, but I think when you withdraw cover in an interim period, you're viewed as uh, the, the view that the market takes or the construction market takes against those insurers is pretty harsh. Bring us up to 2022. And what do you see as a, a couple of the big issues um, that have sort of happened, I guess, between then and, and, and now, I guess? Look, I think the amalgamation of both 
insurance companies uh, as well as brokers uh, creates issues. The, the insurance amalgamations have created a reduction in capacity um, where two markets become one and they don't deploy two lots of capacity. So, you know, we have seen a significant reduction in the available capacity in the local market. Um, at the same time, we've probably seen bigger projects coming to the fore, which require more capacity. So a lot of the infrastructure projects in, in the marketplace that, that Bellrock deals with, you know, are, are fairly significant in size. Um, and it would always be a strong preference to to use the local market wherever possible and support your local market. Um, and that's becoming much more difficult in an environment where the capacity just just doesn't exist. We've had, you know, large insurers who were deploying significant capital all of a sudden, not just withdrawing small amounts of their capacity or part of their capacity, but actually walking away from the sector altogether. Um, I think that that may well change. I think that it's likely that with the with the market movement in rates, it will won't take too much longer for insurers to see that it that it can be a profitable sector despite the fact it hasn't been in the past, and we'll see some of that capacity return. I'm always interested a little in like the whole fixed price contracts issue that a lot of the smaller builders, I guess, generally have with supply chain constrictions and rising costs. It must be so hard to to keep to those prices. Is is there you, is that something that is becoming a bit more elastic in in the current environment, or what what do you see happening there? Or am I just picking on something as an outsider that's not actually a a huge issue? No, I think I think fixed price contracts are a, are a significant issue for for the market. I think that um, you know the 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 discussions that I have would suggest that that those are causing significant concern, particularly in those circumstances where you can't go back and renegotiate. Um, and they believe that if you if you read the papers that the insolvency trend that we're seeing in the marketplace is probably going to get worse before it gets better towards the end of this year. Um, that's driven probably as a result of the tale of fixed price contracts where they were quoted in an environment that we're not no longer operating in because of those supply issues and labour issues that you mentioned. Um, I think that the insolvency doesn't serve anybody well. It doesn't obviously serve the contractor well, but also the end user, whether that be a principal or a homeowner, is going to be significantly out of pocket in circumstances where their project can't be completed because of, of a lack of funds and a, and a subsequent insolvency. So there's no doubt that, that where those fixed price contracts do exist, that... It, there should be, well, there needs to be some discussions early on to avoid avoid insolvency and have that frank discussion early to, to try and address those issues. In, in the article that you wrote, looking back on your 20 years, um, it's quite a re- reflective article in some ways. And, and it does, I do come away with the impression that you do see the changes across the insurance industry and, and in construction as, as cyclical. It, and I'm just wondering, just in view of all of the, the sort of crazy climate change stuff and the natural disasters, the flooding, are we into a new a new phase now, or do you do you feel like it, it's still cyclical in some ways? Look, I think even even you know natural disasters and and climate change are, are cyclical. I think you there's no doubt that you know um, the discussion groups that that Bell Rock's part of things like the engineering discussion group, I would like to think that the 
the insurer, the underwriters or the, the people at the coalface, you know, don't want the market to return to the to the position it was in when it was at its softest point in about 2015 and that it's learned from its mistakes. But I would say that that's probably been a discussion that's had in the last time that there was a, a hard market and people saying they would learn from their mistakes. Um, whether that, whether there is a real change and whether we start seeing things flatten out, I suppose will bear out in due course. Usually if capacity returns to the market, you'll see insurers then competing more hard for more more for business than they previously needed to. That generally sees either terms and conditions improve or pricing fall or both. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the very nature of the business we're in. So I can't see a position where where the the cyclical nature doesn't continue, um, although it may not have the peaks and troughs that we've seen in the last in the last fifteen or twenty years. You've done 20 years now in the industry and um, by 21st century standards, you're still a relatively young man. What are you looking forward to most in your next 20? Look, I think I think seeing where um, some of the innovation in construction takes us, things like modular construction, um, where you you have things being prefabricated much, much more off-site um, and then brought to site and, and assembled, I think that will be a an interesting sector of the economy. It's, it's really taken off in the US where we've got, you know, residential and commercial construction being done on a much more modular basis than it's done in in Australia, which is still a, a relatively immature market. Though that said, we do have some challenges around transportation and logistics for modular business. Um, I think that the pure scale of, of some of the projects that have been contemplated by state governments, if they continue to to increase in value, just the um, the uh, the challenges associated with placement of, of you know multi billion dollar projects, I can only imagine in the next twenty years if we're if we're kind of a bit shocked by an eight or ten billion dollar project now when we start looking at twenty thirty forty fifty billion dollar tunneling projects is it's just going to be very interesting and I think that the construction sector probably better than anywhere else is always at the forefront of innovation in terms of of what it can do and, and what it can deliver. And it's interesting to see how that, that develops over the next 20 years. Jonathan Frost, good luck in the future and thanks for joining us on IB Talk. You're very welcome. Thanks, Danny. And Jonathan Frost is Director of Bell Rock Broking in Sydney. He has 20 years experience in the construction industry and the construction insurance marketplace. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.